If you remember just days previously, Jesus had entered into the city of Jerusalem to a large throng, a crowd of enthusiastic people. And nothing in Jesus' ministry had prepared us for such a crowd. Jesus was always communicating with incredible clarity and repeating himself over and over again that it was costly to follow him. And in fact, he had not come to entertain. He had not come to wow people. He had not come to surprise them even, that he was consistently giving away the ending of the story. He, he told his disciples, he told crowds of people before he got to Jerusalem, during his time in Jerusalem, that he would be in the city, that he had come to the city to suffer, to die, and then rise from the dead. See, he wasn't trying to surprise, he wasn't trying to entertain, and yet over and over and over again, people were showing up for the thrill of it all. But what Jesus continues to communicate through his teaching and through his behavior is that Jesus does not want fans. Jesus wants disciples. He wants people to pick up their crosses and follow him. And over and over again, what Jesus does for us in Matthew's gospel, as we've been following along during this Passion Week, is that he has been increasingly clear about why he was in the city. One of the most memorable scenes is when a woman pours expensive ointment over Jesus and, and critics started popping up and saying that was a bad idea, should have given the money or sold the ointment and given the money to the poor. And instead, what Jesus does is tells them that what this woman had done was beautiful because it was preparing his body for burial. You see, Jesus wasn't trying to surprise he wasn't trying to entertain. His death and resurrection were not some sort of cosmic punchline. He gave away the ending of the story a long time ago. And we've been asking why. Why is it that Jesus would give away the most incredible ending, the most incredible turn to a story in the world that the world had ever heard? Because he wants to be known. He wants us to share in his glory you see, despite though Jesus being so clear about his reason for being in Jerusalem, about his reason for coming into the city, people were not getting the message. And, and this is incredibly, I think, comforting to those of us who have a hard time understanding the Lord, maybe what he's doing, what he's saying the first time around. And so we celebrate, we're grateful that God is a God who graciously repeats himself. And yet as we follow the story of Jesus, we see this sinful condition, this sinful confusion, follow Jesus all the way to the cross. And we'll pick up the story in Matthew chapter 27, verse 36. So if you've got a Bible, open your Bibles and meet me there. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 36. It says, they, then they sat down and kept watch over him. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, Come down from the cross, so also the chief priests with scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts 
in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And then verse 44, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. And keeping in mind that Jesus has been so consistent in repeating himself over and over again, that he has come to suffer, die, and rise. It's incredibly striking that no one around him expects that this is going to happen. In fact, there, there is this constant uh, voice or constant voices being heard persuading Jesus to get down from the cross. Let's observe just a few of these responses about how people responded when Jesus is now hanging on the cross. First, there were those who passed by. They derided him. To deride means to, to blaspheme or to slander. And they told him to come down from the cross if he was really powerful. And so essentially what they're saying is that if you are on the cross, you must not be powerful. Then there are these religious types, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. They mocked him. And to mock, of course, is to make fun of. They told him to come down from the cross if he was really savior. And here's the irony of their mockery is that if you claim to be savior then why do you need saving? Then there were the robbers, this third group. They reviled him. And to revile means to insult or denounce. And they begin to speak to him in a way that communicates that he couldn't or wouldn't come down from the cross as, as if he does not have the power or a, a, a ability or desire something, that something is lacking in him. And that's why he's still on the cross. And so as Jesus hung on the cross, the crowd derided him. As Jesus hung on the cross, religious people mocked him. As Jesus hung on the cross, sinners reviled him. In, in other words, everyone disagreed with Jesus and had an opinion about what he should do instead of suffer and die. Have you ever noticed this in your own heart and mind? See, each one of us has a hard time, I think, comprehending the necessity and wisdom of the cross, or really all suffering and pain, but particularly the cross. We have our own plans for Jesus, don't we? Each one of us has given God, even we have given him our thoughts and our opinions, our desires, often through prayer, these passive-aggressive prayers, letting God know that there is another way to bring about our wishes and our hopes and our dreams that don't include suffering, pain, and waiting. And instead, what we do is we offer up to God things that he should do, things that he can do, things and sometimes that he must do. However, church, my sisters and my brothers, let's let this settle in. Let's let the truth of God's word sort of um, reset the trajectory and, and the, even the beat of our hearts. We need to hear this today. Help us, God. God is not curious about your opinions. God is committed to his purposes. God is not curious about your opinions. God is committed to his purposes. Have you noticed, and did you notice as we read through this particular passage in Matthew 27, none of the overtures, none of the deriding or reviling or mockery, none of that dissuades Jesus. None of that gets him to change his mind. He, he, he does not all of a sudden go, you know what? Thank you, religious people. I never thought about that. I can save myself. Thank you, random passers-by. I didn't think 
that I still possess the power to take myself off the cross. But now I know, thank you, you've been most helpful. See, Jesus is not convinced by their earthly logic. Jesus is not dissuaded from the cross by their fearful presumptions. Because God is not concerned with our opinions, he is committed to his purposes. See, this is what none of us and none in Jesus' time could possibly comprehend. That a plan in which the cross was necessary and even a good idea. This is beyond our comprehension. It's impossible for us to fathom someone enduring this level of pain and shame and suffering willingly, especially if that person possesses the sufficient power to avoid that suffering and pain and to avoid the cross. Yet this is precisely what Jesus had consistently said that he had come into the city to do, to suffer and die over and over and over again. Church, Jesus is not trying to surprise you. Jesus is not trying to entertain you. Jesus has given away the ending of the story so that we would share in his glory, so that we would know him. He is inviting us into this relationship by giving away the reality or the promises, if you will, about what he is planning to do in his purposes. He was preparing us to see a completely different kind of power and salvation. Power which does not avoid pain and suffering in the cross, but overcomes them. Salvation which is not comprised of self-protection, but of self-giving on the cross. Are you with me in this yet? See, Jesus, now, in this particular scene, in this particular moment of history, does exactly what he said he had come to do, to suffer. And to die. He says, I have come into the city to suffer and die. And now he hangs on the cross doing exactly what he said he had come to do. And as Jesus ignores the voices of his former fans and current foes, Jesus hangs on the cross and he speaks to his heavenly father. Look at verse 45 with me. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemek sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them uh, at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So Jesus is on the cross and three things happen. Jesus speaks and these bystanders say something and then Jesus cries out again. First, he cries out to his heavenly father and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then these bystanders hear what Jesus is saying and presume he is crying out for help from a prophet, from Elijah. Third, Jesus cries out and he dies. The scriptures say that he he yields his spirit. Remember, Jesus is not trying to surprise us. He's not trying to entertain. He told us exactly what he was going to do and then he did it. Please let that find home in your heart today. 
that Jesus said what he was going to do, and then he did it. Jesus said what he was going to do, and then he did it. And what all of this teaches us, everything that Jesus has been saying and doing on his way to Jerusalem, during his time in the city, while everyone continues to offer him other ways and other ideas, while everyone from Satan in the wilderness to the crowd of fans on Palm Sunday, to those who pass by, to the religious leaders and scribes and Pharisees, to the robbers on the cross and these unnamed bystanders, everyone is trying to convince Jesus that he does not have to die. But what Jesus keeps on showing us What this text makes abundantly clear is that Jesus does not need saving. Jesus does not need saving. He is not curious about our opinions. He is not wondering about alternate routes of possibility. He is committed to his purposes. Jesus, and beyond our comprehension, Jesus hangs on the cross. He goes to the cross willingly. Willingly. Jesus endures isolation from the Father willingly. Jesus yields up his spirit willingly. Jesus dies willingly. Jesus told us exactly what he was going to do, and then he did it. Jesus does not need saving from the cross because Jesus is saving us through the cross. He is so committed to his purposes. He is not curious about your opinions because he is accomplishing something. He is doing far more than we can possibly imagine or think up or dream of. This is exemplified on the cross, demonstrated on the cross. So why do we do this? Because that, that truth is helpful enough, I believe, But why do we continue to dissuade Jesus? Why do all of these people continue to try to dissuade Jesus from the cross, believing that somehow he needs saving from a bad idea or saving a reminder of how powerful he is or saving from pain and suffering? Well, I think it's clear. The hard truth that we we must settle in today is that the reason that we try to dissuade Jesus from the cross is because we don't want to die. We don't want to die. The reason we sort of implore of this text and why the people there in Jesus' day are trying to dissuade him from going forward with the crucifixion is because they don't want to die either. You see, what we intuitively know and what Jesus taught is that while fans are happy to be entertained by the ones they adore, disciples are called to emulate those whom they follow. See, fans can be entertained by the ones they adore, but disciples emulate those they follow. Therefore, Jesus' death on a cross necessarily means that to follow him, we too must deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and follow him. That's terrifying. Scary. We don't want Jesus to suffer and die. Because we do not want to suffer and die. See, too often then we speak and believe only half the gospel. Or to be more precise, we are more interested in the rewards of the gospel than the actual gospel. 
And so when we speak about things like eternal life, we think we're talking about the fullness of the gospel, but we misunderstand the gospel if we think it is only about life. In other words, if we have developed and writ and, and created a kind of Christianity without the cross. See, Jesus made sure we'd understand better. Jesus wasn't trying to surprise. He wasn't trying to entertain. He was revealing truth. And what's the truth? The truth of the good news of Jesus is that in him and because of the cross, we can die to ourselves in this life and be raised to newness of life right now and forevermore. Death comes before life. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 10, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The gospel is, is then this, this sort of melody of paradoxes that to gain we must lose and to live you must die. And that's really hard to understand. Harder still to admit and to live out. That's why Jesus uh, contemporaries, including the apostle Peter, are constantly trying to tell Jesus he doesn't have to die. You don't have to go to the cross. That's not a good idea. That's why we tried to develop a kind of faux Christian faith, which is void of suffering and pain. We don't want to die either. With our lives then, maybe not with our words, but with our lives and the ways that we think and believe, we speak the fearful ideas that reached Jesus' ears as he hung on the cross. See, Jesus hung on the cross, and like the crowd, we deride him, acting like he's not truly powerful. Jesus hung on the cross, and like the religious people, we mock him, acting as though he is the one who needs saving. Jesus hung on the cross, and like sinners, we revile him and act like we can save ourselves without his death. Now, if we're not careful, we'll misunderstand the cross. See, the cross is not necessary in that Jesus had to die for us. He was not compelled by some sort of cosmic force against his will. Rather, the cross is necessary if we are to be saved. See, let, let's make sure that we see the difference, that we the cross is not necessary, and therefore Jesus had to die. So, so sort of our sin puts him on the hook or puts him on the cross, but rather, out of love, Jesus is compelled himself. By his grace, he is compelled. By joy, he is compelled. By the glory of his heavenly Father, he is compelled. But Jesus goes willingly. So in the cross, then, we find yet another paradox. It is the symbol of our greatest shame and our eternal glory. The cross is the source of our truest sorrow and yet our greatest celebration. The cross is the place where both death and life come into focus for us. So we grieve the cross today because perhaps our most egregious sin is that we find it unnecessary. In our sin, we have found the cross unnecessary and perhaps unwittingly, but very truly, that is a mockery, a reviling, and a deriding of the Son of God who willingly went to the cross. He wasn't trying to surprise us. He wasn't trying to entertain. He had given away the ending of the story a long time ago. He desires for us to know him. 
He doesn't need saving. He came to save. The good news, this is so good. The good news is that Jesus didn't listen to our voices. Isn't that good? That he didn't listen to our ideas and he still doesn't. Not in such a way to apply them wholesale. He hears us. He knows us. But the Lord is not curious about your opinions. The Lord is committed to his purposes. The good news is that Jesus does not obey our wishes. He obeyed his heavenly father. The good news again for us today is that Jesus gave away the ending of this story. That he came to Jerusalem to suffer and die and rise from the dead. This was his purpose. That we might be saved. That we might be forgiven. That we might be healed. That we might find joy. That we no longer would be entertained by what sounds good or feels good, but that we would find wholeness in that which is truly good. God himself. You see, when all of humanity was trying to convince Jesus to find another way, Jesus humbled himself to one voice, the voice of his Father. And because Jesus has died, we too can die and find newness of life in him. So, Father, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your help. And we bless your name. In Jesus' name. Amen.